the elders here, and I committed a dangerous act right before I came up here. I took a drink of my wife's water, and it had oils in it, and I didn't know which kind of oil. I don't know if it was going to make me pucker up or something or do something weird. So, man, I'm, I'm glad it worked out. It was, I don't know what kind it was still, but it was, it was all right. Um, so, uh, today, if it's up here, uh, that is not the verses. Just so you know. <laughs> the title is correct, Pivotal Moments. Um, but the verses will be Acts 11.27 through 12.25. That's what we were going over last week. So uh, Acts 11.27 through 12.25. So uh, if you can get there in your Bibles. As mentioned earlier, there should be some extra Bibles laying around if you don't have one with you today. Uh, I was struggling today... Uh, as to what to name the message, uh, pivotal moments, or while you were out. Uh, I was thinking while you were out because the, the verses that we're going to cover today, it starts with Barnabas and Paul, and in the beginning of the, the, the section, they actually leave. So they're off scene. They're not in what's going on. And then we go through all sorts of crazy events that happen, and then at the very end... They return. So I was going to call it while you were out because I could just imagine the discussion after they get back. Like, you have these individuals that go through, Peter gets imprisoned, James gets killed, you have leaders leaving, you have people out, famine happening uh, that's going to happen later on down the road. You have this crazy King Herod that's just causing all sorts of problems, and then he ends up dying, and then Paul and Barnabas show back up. And everybody went through that. It's like, man, you missed it. Like, you missed all sorts of things going on. So I was going to call it while you were out, but I felt as though pivotal moments would fit better with this topic because this group of people, Peter here, um, this, this group of people that were praying for Peter, the church at that time, they were going through a pivotal moment. For all those reasons I was just describing, their leaders were gone, one got imprisoned, the first death, the first martyr happened um, with James being killed. And there was a lot of things happening during that. And as we'll, we'll read in a minute, they were praying through it all. They were praying through Peter being imprisoned. Passover was happening. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was happening. There was all of these things coming together and it was a pivotal moment because at that moment they could have seen danger and fled and dismissed the faith, dismissed God. But instead, they drew closer and His Word was pushed further out and His Word was spread even further. So, we're going to go over these pivotal moments through four main points that we're going to cover today. And it actually fits in one big sentence, if you follow along. It is the P words here. Participate, pray, have peace in God's perfect plan, and preserve God's glory. So participate pray, 
and have peace in God's perfect plan, which preserves God's glory. So we're going to read through the text today. And as we go through this, you can think on those things. And I'm, I'm going to throw in a little bit of commentary as we go through, just to get you to think about each one of these things as we, as we flow through the verses. Just so that, and I pray that when you're reading your Bibles at home that, or wherever you are, that when you read, the people that you're reading about aren't just words on a page. They're real people. These are things that happened. And the events that are happening, I hope that you put yourself in into these characters' lives so that you know what was going on as we go through this. So, we'll be starting in Acts 11.27, and we'll be going all the way through the end of chapter 12. Acts 11.27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. And if you're wondering, it ended up happening. The famine happened. Okay, So he wasn't just prophesying and then the thing not actually coming true. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So this is where Barnabas and Saul take that relief and all of the things that they can help with, and they actually leave scene. They go down and go help where the need is, is, is in great need. So, chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. So to, to describe some characters here, I know I'm pausing a lot here, but we'll, we'll get to it. So Herod, you'll notice as you read through, there's a lot of Herods in the New Testament. It's the Herodian period. There's a whole bunch of them. The family is big. and You'll hear that name throughout, okay? This is not Herod as he self-so-called Herod the Great from when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Herod the the great, I do air quotes because Herod the Great, he was a great builder, he, was, he built Masada, he did all sorts of things, but he was a terrible person. Um, he just did a whole lot of terrible things. So Herod the Great, he was actually the grandfather of this Herod. All right. So Herod the Great from... Jesus' day who killed all the babies trying to kill Jesus and, and um, murdered a whole bunch of people. He had a whole bunch of wives, a whole bunch of kids, even killed some of his wives and some of his kids. This Herod is the grandchild of that Herod. This Herod, the one we're reading about right now, his father and mother were actually killed by his grandfather, that Herod, Herod the Great. So I'm sure their family reunions were phenomenal and they just like got together and everything was wonderful and you know they, they played some like cornhole and it was wonderful. But no, it just probably didn't happen. So this is that Herod's grandfather or grandson and he is just as difficult to deal with as Herod the Great. Maybe not to the scale, but he's still just, he's out there. So that's Herod the king that we're talking about here, who laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Verse 2, here we go. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. 
And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. See what I mean? Oh, this is happy to the Jews? We're going to grab Peter and we're just going to arrest him and kill him later. Oh, that sounds great. So, verse 4. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Four squads is actually four groups of four. So, 16 guards total. And they weren't all 16 with him at the same time. They kind of rotate through. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly! And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so, and he said to him, Wrap your cloak around and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real but thought he had, was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to an iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So just at that moment, he had walked all the way into the city and he just now finally said, okay, wow, I'm awake now. He must have woken up pretty quick and was pretty groggy. Uh, verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy she did not even open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, It's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when the day had come, now when, the, when day had come, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. I love the way that's written. No little disturbance. Meaning there was a big bustle going about. Everybody was freaking out. And you'll see why here in a second. And after Herod had searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries, those soldiers that were watching them, and ordered that they should be put to death. 
if I was going to be put to death if I couldn't find a guy, I'd probably be looking pretty hard too. And it'd be pretty hard to explain, like, no, really, it was an angel that just showed up and he left and we were asleep and we didn't know. And So they were looking for him pretty hard and pretty, uh, pretty all over the place and making a huge disturbance because they knew that they would be killed. And they were. <laughs> then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Verse 20 now. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they, became, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the, king of the, cham- the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended, depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of God, and not of man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Praise the Lord. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So Barnabas and Saul returns, and all of that took place while they were gone. So let's pray before we go into these main points. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to gather here today. Thank you so much for allowing us to gather without such persecution that was in these days. And Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to, to your word today. I pray that you would hide me behind that, that your word and your glory and your wondrous name would be shown forth to all those that are here. And Lord, if there is someone here that does not know you as their personal Savior, God, I pray that you would get a hold of their heart, soften it, and show them who you are today. We love you so much, God. In Jesus Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, so the four main points. Participate, pray, have peace in God's perfect plan, which preserves God's glory. So the first one is participate. Participate. If you saw in Acts 11, 27-30, the main reason they were sending out Barnabas and Saul was because the church got word that there was going to be famine in the land and they knew someone was going to need help. The, the other Christians down in Judea were going to need assistance. There was a need in the church. So they provided it. They participated in what the church and what the gathering was doing and decided to pool resources and get them out to those people in need. We do that in this church. We do that, whether some people even realize it or not, we do that through many different ways. And you as a church member, I'm talking to the members here, if, if, if you're a part of this church, there's many things that we do. We have member meetings. We have church work days. We did one yesterday. It was wonderful. We're doing another one tomorrow to finish up some things on the property so we can better serve God. We give meals to families in times of need. Whenever a young lady um, 
gives birth. Uh, normally, it's hard for them to just get up and carry on with, with the normal, normal days of life. Helping out with those things. We have community groups that meet throughout the week and we get together and we pray for one another. We get together and discuss the things of, of God together. We find out what, what each other are in need of and we help each other through those things. We have missions trips. Actually, we have some coming up soon. Mike DeLarge is putting together a couple. Um, there's been at least one I know of that's going to be jumping on board with them and going, um, going to those missions trips. There's some more coming down the road. Going out and spreading the gospel with that being your main focus. The great thing about those mission trips is you don't have to worry about all the other logistical things, the resources. You don't have to worry about your daily life. Your main focus can just be on spreading the gospel by participating in what God has for you. Financially, lending an ear to a brother, or just having someone over for dinner. We participate together being as part of a church, being a part of a gathering, isn't just an inactive, passive thing. This is an active, participating thing that we go along with, with God and with the church. And what's amazing here is, it's not the only example of what they were doing to participate. God shows Peter how he's supposed to participate. Let's look in, um, in Acts chapter 12, 7 and 8. Maybe you didn't, see, you didn't pick up on this when we were reading through it. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and the light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. So a miracle just happened. A phenomenal, wonderful miracle just happened. The angel took iron-clad things off his hands and his feet, and he's free now. But look at verse 8. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he even had to go further and tell him, And you have to wrap your cloak around you. Like, he tells him the three different garments to put on. But he doesn't do it for him. He also doesn't just disappear with him and reappear outside the gate. He's got to get up and walk on his own. He's got to strap his sandals on on his own. He's got to put his cloak on on his own. He, the angel is showing him, hey, look, you got to participate on this and you actually have to do it quickly. I don't know why he had to do it quickly, but the angel told him, do it quickly. We're trying to, this is a prison break here. Do it quickly. Get, we're getting out of here. So, shown again that even in the midst of a miracle happening, God is expecting him to participate. And one of the many ways that we participate as believers, as a church, is to pray. Which brings me to my next point. So participate and pray. We see very obvious moments of prayer in these verses. Acts 12.5 says this, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So Peter goes to prison, the church prays for him. 
I hope in our lives we don't wait. And I don't know if this was what happened here. It's not recorded. I hope that in our lives we don't wait for an emergency to pray. I hope that in our daily lives we are praying without ceasing. As it says in 1 Thessalonians, we pray without ceasing. We're constantly walking with God, communing with God. And when those emergencies happen, it's not a, hey God, remember me from however long ago. I got this thing going on. I really need your help. I pray that it's a regular, continuous thing. And then when something comes up, it's not, hey God, remember me. It's, hey God, we've been walking through this together and here's where we're at. Can you help me out? And you know what? What's amazing about prayer is you always get an answer. Always. God always gives you an answer. It may not be the answer you like. And sometimes it's not. But no is still an answer. My kids ask me things all the time. Daddy, can I have this? Daddy, can I have that? And I'm like, no. It's very simple. Actually, sometimes I play with it and I give them different types of no. Um, they don't enjoy that too much. But it's still funny. Um, it is what it is. So uh, also in Acts 12.12, 12, uh, we see another moment where they're praying. Acts 12, 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary. This is after he's released out of prison. The mother of John, whose name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So, he was held through Passover. So, I don't know at what point during Passover, but typically it's seven or eight days. But at some point during Passover, he gets obtained by Herod, and he's in prison. So I don't know if it was a day or eight days, but after he was released, the night before he was about to be killed, they were found praying. So that indicates to me that they were praying from the time he was imprisoned until that time, which could have been days. They were praying, and they were praying earnestly. They were praying earnestly. Now, it's difficult to look at this text and not point out the fact that we have James, who was the first martyr. James was just as devoted, just as um, uh, just indwelt with the Holy Spirit as Peter. James was praying along with Peter. James was going through all those things with Peter. He was doing life together with Peter through all of Jesus' ministry. And he's killed. James is killed by the sword. And it's only described, it's one verse, just boop, yep, he was dead. And here's all the things about Peter. Why? Why? It's hard not to ask the question, why does God, and I would imagine people were praying for James when he was about to be killed as well, but why were those people told no? And why was Peter told, hey, I'm going to send an angel. It'll be okay. Why? We ask this question, and the answer, I believe, falls in my next main point, which is, have peace in God's perfect plan. 
have peace in God's perfect plan. Acts chapter 12, 6-11 is a lot of where I'd like to discuss this. So let's reread that and then uh, and we'll, we'll dive into God's perfect plan. Verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone through the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him and did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had... When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And when they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So, why did God keep Peter from death here and not James? Well, God says, my ways are not your ways. Why God did that? Because he has a perfect plan. And he was executing it here. God has a secret will and a plan. And Peter understood that. Peter knew it. And Peter got it. And Peter understood that because... Peter was at peace. How do I know he was at peace? He was sleeping. He was dead asleep. If you notice, it was the very night before he was about to be killed. I don't know about y'all, but if I was sitting in prison and I knew I was my death sentence was for the next day, I probably wouldn't sleep well at night. When I have a lot going on the next day, I have a hard time sleeping. Like, I get anxious, and I'm like, oh, man, i got to take care of this, i got to take care of that, i got to run over here and run over there, and i got to talk to this person. And if my mind is just running with those things, I have a hard time sleeping. Some of you might be the same way. Peter was about to get killed by a way and a means that he has no idea. He may have gone through a whole lot of pain, but he was sound asleep. Sleeping like a baby. Because he understood the peace that comes with God's perfect plan. We can have that peace. And how do I know he was sleeping really, really soundly? Well, when the angel showed up, a light shone in the room. I don't know about y'all, but if somebody walks in the bedroom and turns on the light while I'm sleeping, I usually wake up. Like It's like, ah! So bright, maybe cover your head with the covers, but then eventually it's like, okay, you're awake. An angelic light was shown forth, and he just was still out. It took the angel striking him. He struck him on the side. Peter on the side and woke him. He's, if an angel strikes you, in the, I don't know if it hurt real bad, I don't know what, but 
man, he, he popped up after that and started getting his sandals on. I don't know what that must have felt like, but man, if it takes an angel to like literally just jack you in the side, man, you're sleeping pretty hard. So, Peter was at peace. He was at peace. And you know, we can take this time of wondering why and just and go crazy trying to think of what God's plan is. And we can pray for it. If God doesn't want us to have that plan and know what's to come forth, we're not going to he's not going to give it to us. We just need to have peace and know that God is God. And if we fully comprehend that, and we say, okay, God, I trust you, I love you, I know you love me, we can put our life in His hands and trust Him that He can do that. I used to try to get secrets out of my kids, um, and it worked pretty good when they were younger. I mean, when they're like four years old and, um, you know, mommy takes them to the store and like buys me a gift or something and then I hear about it and I go, oh, what'd you get me? And the kids are like, it's a secret, I'm not telling you. <laughs> and then I go, okay, okay, okay. And then I let about 30 seconds go by so they forgot we had that conversation and then I pull them aside. I'm like, so you went to the store, what'd you do? What, what happened? What'd you get? And they're like, oh yeah, we got you this. And I say, oh, thanks, all right. back on. There we go. It's not going to work that easy with God. He's God. He can probably keep a secret. And by probably, he can. Uh, so there's that strike by the angel. He strikes him in the side and wakes him up. Um, and the other reason why that God has this secret will, um, it's for God's glory. It is for God's glory. And there's one other strike that happens, and it happens in the last couple verses of the passage, which I'd like to go to and then discuss our last main point, which is preserve God's glory. Preserve God's glory. So, in verse... Well, let me get to it. In verse 23, it says immediately, and this is for, for Herod, Herod was not giving God the glory, and in verse 23, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. So, this angel and God ultimately can strike Peter and just awake him to save his life. But the same strike can happen and it can kill and destroy and send a man, presumably, to hell. <laughs> Additionally here, which is, I know this is one of the hard truths, which is going to take a second to go through. Additionally, we have these soldiers. I don't know how many of the 16 soldiers were examined, but it says in verse 19, and, the, and after Herod searched for him and did not find Peter, that is Peter, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. 
So it's hard to look at this passage and not go, okay, God saved Peter and got him out of prison knowing that these soldiers that were watching him, guarding him, were going to be put to death due to what happened. Also, Herod, who's taking God's glory here, is struck down and killed. But somebody who was also fighting against God, that being Saul, who we, we read about earlier in Acts, Saul was then snagged up by Jesus, blinded and said, Hey, look, I am God. And then Saul becomes Paul and is miraculously saved and writes much of the New Testament. How do we wrestle with God chose this person and God didn't on this person? Well, because He's God. God is God. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. And the hard truth here, it falls into God's secret will. He, some things He reveals to us. He reveals to us that we are supposed to participate in His plan. He reveals to us that we're supposed to pray. He reveals to us that we're supposed to live like Christ. He reveals to us that we're supposed to love and cherish and have joy and peace. But He doesn't reveal to us until we get to glory and in the Lamb's book of life that who is going to die and go to hell, and who is going to die and go to heaven. God's glory. Preserve God's glory. And we can sit here and ask why, 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 and waste all of our time, and continually have that conversation with God, or we can accept the fact that God is who He is, and He's going to do what He wants. I think of... Once again, my children, they will ask why. Any kid does. All of them do, right? Any, where, how many parents do we have in the room? Show of hands. Okay, so you all know <laughs> the why question. Once you get to that stage in development where they want to know why, it's like, hey, buddy, we're going to the grocery store. Why? <laughs> to get food. Well, why? So we can eat it? Why? Well, you see, we eat the food and then it gives us energy and then life and then we're, you know, we're sustained and it squelches our hunger and molecular stuff into our body and he's like, oh, why? Because God. That's why, son. That's why. Because God made it that way. Because God just, he, that's how he created us. That's what he created food for. Oh, and if I would have inadvertently, let me rephrase, inadvertently, I actually gave a very spiritual good truth there just out of annoyance of being like, well, look, just God, okay? Just God. That's the easy answer. But it's a very deep spiritual truth that the why question always leads to because God because God's in control. Because God knows. And that's why we need to preserve God's glory. And what's happening here with Herod 
I, I got to share this with you. We talked a little bit about who his family lineage is and how he's acting here with just killing people and, and just wanting to kill other people because, well, it makes the Jews happy. Yeah, sure, we'll kill somebody else. He, well, let's read it. In, in verse 21, uh, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. And this is extra-biblical, meaning a historian by the name of uh, Josephus actually described this. And he says these royal robes that he put on were glistening like mirrors, and they had, it was just huge, and it made it look like he was just shining and glowing when he went forth to go do this oration. So he took his seat upon his throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of God and not of a man. They were exclaiming that he was a God. Now the one true real God, he doesn't like that very much. And he sends an angel and strikes him down because he did not give God the glory. Now I don't know if this would have changed if... Herod, after these people describing to him, saying that he was God, if he would have stopped them and said, no, 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 I'm just, just a king, God's servant, I don't think God would have struck him down. But he didn't. He allowed it to happen. As a matter of fact, he encouraged it. He wanted to be their God. So God strikes him down. Strikes him down so Herod's death was to show God's glory to all those that were there so that they could give the true God, the true God, the glory. Now when we started this, we were discussing the, the title of this, of this passage. And I dove a little bit into it of pivotal moments. The people here were in a pivotal moment in their lives and in their Christian walk. I'd like to finish this out with the fact that you may be in a pivotal moment in your life. You've probably had many pivotal moments in your life. A point in time where your life was going one direction and it pivots and goes a different direction. Or that it could have gone a different direction but because you pivoted the right way, you're on the path that you're on now. These pivotal moments happen in our lives. And the point of me bringing this up to you, not to use point in another P word, but if you were to participate, pray, if you are to have peace, in God's perfect plan. If you, are to pre if you preserve God's glory and give Him the glory, then those pivotal moments will be very easy for you to get through because you will be living through that with God. You'll be communing with God as you participate, pray, and have peace. And in all of that, God will get the glory and not us. And then God will execute His plan in our lives. And we can have that peace that Peter had, regardless of whether we're sitting in a cushioned seat 
in a Christian nation or if we're in a cell across this land like the ones we prayed for at the beginning. We can have peace no matter where we're at, what trials we're going through, because we're giving God the glory. Now, if you're going through one of those pivotal moments right now, and you're having one of those times when God just keeps coming to the forefront of your mind and your heart, if you're in one of those pivotal times in your life when you feel like everything's coming, crashing down, or maybe you're just constantly get reminded of who Christ is, but you don't know that you're going to heaven one day. You don't know that God is your Savior. I would encourage you today to talk to somebody. Get that figured out. Figure out who God is. The people of this church will meet with you, discuss with you who God is. Come to a community group. Come to a discipleship group. And, and fellowship with other Christians and learn about who Christ is. Because if that pivotal moment of salvation does not happen in your life, then my friend, you will be going to hell. That is the truth of it. And that is the hard truth one of the hard truths that we covered today. So as the musicians come up, um, I'd like to pray for us, and then we will continue to give God the glory that He deserves, not just in our prayers, but in our participation through song as we gather together. So, let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank You so much for giving us this time. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for being so good to us and being our God. We love you so much. In Jesus Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Won't you stand together and let's sing.